I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. Hello and welcome to Vulgar History, a feminist women's history comedy podcast. My name is Anne Foster, and I say the word like a lot, and if that bothers you... There are other podcasts you can listen to instead because that is how I talk and I'm not going to change. So here we all are. Um, yeah, hi. So this is season four and what we're looking at are women trapped in towers and the assholes who put them there. And as much as last week I was saying like, you know, don't define a women's story by how it ended. It's like the last three stories have all ended with these sort of like, and then she was sent in the tower and slowly died the end. Like, when the last part of the story is what you're left with, it, it kind of lingers. And I was feeling a little bummed out about what these stories were like. So, this story is about a person who sends a tower, I believe, or to a tower, the Tower of London. I think three times, but that is not, the ending is not the same as the other one. So, spoiler, not spoiler, it's going to be less of a bummer of an episode, basically. As much as I try to make no episodes bummers. Um, so who we're looking at today is Lady Margaret Douglas, a.k.a. Lady Lennox, a.k.a. one of the nieces of King Henry VIII. And to understand her story, we need to understand quite a bit about what her mother's deal was. So Margaret Douglas was born on October 8th, 1515. Uh, her mother was Margaret Tudor. 
the older sister of King Henry VIII, the one who had been married off to James IV of Scotland. So Margaret Tudor, Henry VIII's sister, played on In the Spanish Princess by um, Lucy from the Narnia movies. Margaret Tudor, not who we're talking about, but who we are talking about at the moment. She married the Scottish king, and then things were kind of cool between England and Scotland on and off for a while. Like Henry VIII was the king. Um, Margaret's husband was the king of Scotland, and there's sort of like an okay relationship between the two, and then the whole various things got in between them. Um, and after about 10 years, Margaret's husband died. She'd had two sons, uh, James and Alexander. So her older son became James V of Scotland. And then um, she got married again, Margaret Tudor. Her second husband was Archibald Douglas, who was a horrible person and... We'll learn a bit about that right now. Basically, she just got her heart stolen by this sort of legendary asshole, Archibald Douglas, married him, and then their child together was Margaret Douglas, who is today's heroine. So, effectively, the first two years of Margaret Douglas's baby life were held in a tug of war between her parents, um, Archibald, the horrible asshole, and her mother, Margaret Tudor. And Henry VIII. So, like, on one side, you've got Henry VIII. On the other side, you've got Margaret's parents. It all culminated, like, it all culminated basically in Archibald literally snatched Margaret out of her mother's arms as a baby. Like, literally grabbed her um, and ran off with her back to Scotland. Uh, There weren't child custody arrangements back then. But effectively, Archibald got primary custody through this sort of finder's keepers strategy. He was a terrible person and an even worse soldier. So while he went off to lose various battles, he left Margaret with her godfather as a guardian. Her godfather was a notorious, to me, pretty famous to everybody, Catholic person named Cardinal Wolsey. So that's the same Cardinal Wolsey who wound up being beheaded for not being able to procure Henry VIII a divorce to marry Anne Boleyn. So it's just... This sort of mental image I have of the spider web of connections between people is just like a giant ink blot now because everybody's connected to everybody in so many ways. So this was not an ideal Little Orphan Annie, Daddy Warbucks situation um, because Cardinal Wolsey was not a cool person to her. Anyway, he got himself killed. And by that point, Margaret Douglas was 15 years old. Extremely clever and intelligent and reportedly very beautiful and poised, but no one was going to say she wasn't because of her family relationships. E.g., she's the niece of Henry VIII, who is at this point very anxious about not having an heir to the throne, kind of his signature anxiety. So at this point, she was something like third in line of succession, I think, but Margaret was kind of it as a backup to the backup. So as a teenager... She joined the household of her cousin, Mary, who is later Mary I, who was about her same age, and they became friends, and they stayed friends, lifelong friends. When Mary was made illegitimate as part of Henry's strategy to marry Anne Boleyn, Margaret bumped up a spot in the who will inherit the throne sweepstakes, making her an even more important and influential teenager than her cousin. She was appointed one of the main ladies-in-waiting to Anne Boleyn, and was now treated basically like a royal princess. 
which meant she got great dresses and lots of servants, but also meant that Henry got to choose who she would marry for political reasons. And like so many people in this time period that we've talked about on this podcast, Margaret had other plans in mind than letting Henry decide who she's going to marry, like Echo of the, the Grey Sisters, who are, of course, her cousins. So, or Francis was her cousin. They're like her cousin's children. Anyway, it's again, okay, so you're going to be like, really again? So Margaret had already fallen in love with someone. His name was Thomas Howard, because every woman in this time period who falls in love secretly falls in love with someone, one of the Howard boys. The Howard boys are just like, I don't even know. Like they were every Tudor adjacent young woman was powerless against them. Apparently he was four years older than her which is one of several reasons. I think it was probably a love match, or at least he was, they're mutually using each other for influence or something. Um, so he knew that Margaret might one day be queen because everything was very like, what's going on with Henry and his daughters and stuff. Uh, that might have made her more appealing to him in general, but it was also very dangerous for them to be together, just like with Catherine Gray and that other Howard. Um everybody anyway so it's dangerous for them to be together which counterintuitively i think means it was probably real love because it was really dangerous to do it so why would you do it unless you were in love so not only was henry sort of notorious for hating it when people got married without his permission much like his daughter elizabeth would be too but also margaret was potentially going to be the queen and the queen can't just like marry whomst ever so Margaret and Thomas got secretly engaged. You know, I love a secret sexy engagement. Um, but then things took a turn for the worse when Anne Boleyn fell out of favor and was beheaded because that meant that the whole Boleyn family was suddenly like toxic. And Thomas Howard was Anne Boleyn's uncle, even though he was much younger than her. So the Howards and the Boleyns, very interrelated surnames of people so it was all lovely it was sort of like the second act of romeo and juliet where they were just like secret lovers sneaking off together but then suddenly it veers into like the third act of romeo and juliet where you're just like oh no i think people are gonna start dying soon because henry found out about their secret engagement and threw them both in the tower of london now remember this is years decades before the whole catherine gray situation with edward was it Edward Howard? Ned? Um, so he didn't yet know about the whole thing where when you put two people who are in love with each other, both in jail, they might have babies together in jail. Anyway, they're both put in Tower of London and the crime was love, effectively. Thomas was charged with getting engaged without the king's consent. And Margaret was not charged, but still kept locked up because patriarchy Perhaps sensing there was really no happy ending in this for her, Margaret chose to break things off with Thomas. But then in this like sad, tragic twist, Thomas got very sick with whatever, choose your own Tudor era disease, and he died in jail of, I'm going to say, dysentery or whatever. So she broke up with him and then he died. So she was heartbroken, obviously, and then also fell very ill herself because probably, you know, the disease traveled through aerosols and they didn't have masks then. Her mother, so she was sick. Margaret Douglas was sick. Her mother, Margaret Tudor, 
way back in Scotland, wrote a letter pleading with her brother Henry VIII to please let the younger Margaret out of prison so she could convalesce somewhere else. Henry agreed, maybe because Thomas was dead now anyway, so there's no risk of the two of them running off. And also, he really needed Margaret to not die because she was sort of like a backup heir, and so she got sent off to a nunnery to heal up with some helpful nuns, where Margaret not only healed up, but also Henry decided to release her from being imprisoned. And again, she wasn't charged with anything, so so she was a free woman, again, as free as she could be, being this Henry VIII's niece. But then, in sort of a good news slash bad news scenario, Henry was now worried that Margaret's claim to the throne might overtake that of his son Edward. So Edward had been born by now, Henry is married to Jane Seymour. Um, so just to recap, I think what is going on. So Mary and Elizabeth were both kind of, were basically understood to be illegitimate because Henry had a son and Edward was going to be his heir, but Margaret was still kind of there. And so Henry was worried that Margaret's claim might overtake that of his son, Edward, because of the whole divorce thing, Anglican church thing, like was his just because of the whole Anne Boleyn situation, effectively. So Margaret was now sort of more dangerous. This is like, it reminds me of, I've done some of these episodes, I can't even remember who it is, but there, there was other people like this. It was, I think it was Catherine Gray, where it's just like, oh, now she's the heir. Oh, now she's not the heir. Oh, now she's the heir. And people are just like backing different people. So Henry, just to sort of cover his ass, um, had Margaret named illegitimate, even though... Her mother, Margaret, had been married to Archibald Douglas, horrible asshole, but he named Margaret illegitimate, which meant she was no longer a potential heir to him, which would sort of like neuter her politically, sort of. But she was still his niece, and she was still brilliant and gorgeous, and so she got a new job as lady-in-waiting to Anne of Cleves, who was just made queen at this point. It's sort of helpful to me to have everything happening in parallel to Henry VIII going through the wives because then I can sort of gauge where we are in history. So we're on Anne of Cleves, wife-wise. Um, Margaret was given the great honor of being part of the group sent to greet Anne of Cleves when she arrived from Germany. And I feel like someone else we talked about got that too. Was it Margaret Pohl? Or am I just thinking of Bess of Hardwick or something? Anyway, this is like a big thing. She got to go greet Anne of Cleves, everything in her world must have just seemed like nonstop chaos, because it was, but Margaret just kept her position sort of eye of the storm, like cool head, just kind of going with like where life took her and not sticking her head out and stuff, keeping her eyes on surviving and just trying to sort of amass as much power as she could in her weird situation. Of course, the whole Anne of Cleves marriage was very short-lived. And Henry's next wife was a very young woman named Catherine Howard of the Howard family. So she was a relative of Margaret's former fiance, Thomas Howard. So the Howard family sort of like came to court en masse because they were pop popular again. So it must have been weird for her to see like her ex-dead fiance, who she went to jail for, his family to be around all the time. They, you know, they probably kind of look like him too. One of the Howards on the scene was a person named Sir Charles Howard. And wouldn't you know it, like the Howard boys just romancing the hell out of everybody. Margaret fell in love with him. So she just couldn't quit these Howard boys. So Charles. 
was a very high, he was very high ranking because he was the brother of Catherine Howard, the queen and Margaret at this point technically had a lower status than him because she was still technically illegitimate, even though she was the king's niece. But a bigger issue was, again, Henry had not been their matchmaker and he freaked out whenever anyone hooked up without his permission. And so again, Margaret was sent to the Tower of London for dating without permission, like twice now. Like I, I love that she did the exact same thing again. Like she's just like, I will not stop. I will not stop doing this. Like, so I mean, the tower, like, I don't know, just a history repeating. So she was so smart in so many ways, which we're going to see really soon. But her weakness was the Howard boys, which is just, it's, it's endearing to me that she just couldn't not fall in love with them. So even though she was Henry's niece, there are only so many times you can get sent to the Tower of London for secretly hooking up with somebody against permission before he got tired of you. And so it must have been like, ooh, is she going to be in jail forever? Will she be executed? But luckily, there was a big distraction in the form of her dirtbag father, Archibald, was currently enjoying a lot of power in Scotland. And he was able to use his influence to get Henry to release Margaret. This was because at this point, Henry wanted an alliance with Scotland. And with Archibald as sort of his way in, Henry had to treat Margaret, Margaret especially well to sort of uh, to stay on Archibald's good side. So just timing was good. So once again, she went straight from prison to being a very high-ranking lady-in-waiting, this time to Henry's sixth wife, Catherine Parr. So Margaret and Catherine had known each other for years and years because they both hung out around English court throughout their respective teenage years. So it was like, again, it was nice for her to hang out with someone who she knew. Um, Margaret was one of the only people invited to attend Henry and Catherine's wedding which was a huge honor and shows how important she suddenly was again in this kind of like up and down reputation that she's having. So, but the thing about being a really important woman in this court at this time was that you knew that Henry was going to marry her off for political reasons to someone she may not want to marry. Sure enough, a guy from Scotland named Matthew Stewart came moonwalking into the palace instead of Henry. I don't know why I wrote that. That's in my notes. Let's just picture him coming, moonwalking into the palace. And he said if Henry would let him marry Margaret, Matthew would provide the king with all of his troops and support in the English versus Scotland war, which is like not never ending. But just to be clear, Matthew was so opportunistic. He's willing to betray his entire country, Scotland, just to marry Margaret because he just at the off chance that Margaret would inherit the throne and become the queen. So Matthew thought maybe he would be the king. If you're like, this reminds me of someone else from history. Oh, just wait, because that's their child. And we're going to get to that. It's Darnley. Their child is going to be Darnley from the Mary Queen of Scots story. Henry agreed. And so he effectively exchanged Margaret to Matthew for some troops. So, you know, uncle of the year, Henry VIII. Margaret at this point was 29 years old. And frankly, probably just happy to finally be married so Henry would stop throwing her in prison. And as it turned out, these two actually got along pretty well. I don't know what their like love life was like or whatever, but they were both extraordinarily ambitious. So between their various family backgrounds combined, they had a pretty substantial claim to become queen and or king of England and or Scotland. And so they quickly became 
this sort of power couple. Henry VIII and Catherine Parr were guests at their wedding, which made Margaret and Matthew look extra important to everybody else. And pretty quickly, the marriage sorted itself out, such that Margaret was in charge of everything because she was good at everything. And Matthew kind of did whatever she told him to because he knew that's what he should do. They made power moves, so including having a child, which for them, with their combined ancestors who were kings and queens, like that kind of made their son a potential new king of England. This son was named Henry, maybe to suck up to the king, but history knows him better by his title, Lord Darnley, who is the horrible husband of Mary Queen of Scots later on. And this really sets things up nicely for when in the future I do a Mary Queen of Scots season. Because the reason Mary Queen of Scots married Lord Darnley and that became a threat because Darnley has this amazing claim to the throne through both of his parents. So anyway, but that's not for years and years in oldie times. Henry VIII was maybe excessively happy with this pairing. He liked the two of them together, I guess, because he had like match made them himself. Apparently he told Margaret that if his own children died childless, he'd be happy for her children to inherit the throne, e.g. Darnley. So given who he was and what Margaret was like, like the fact that she was so ambitious and he was so sort of reluctant to give anyone power, that was just a huge compliment, really. And yet, Margaret, maybe she still had some residual feelings from how he threw her in jail twice and she probably blamed him for the death of her first fiance margaret had no intention of just being the sweet little niece and waiting for her grandkids to maybe one day be king she wanted for herself and matthew to get more power like right away and the best way for her to do that was to play the protestant catholic divide between england and scotland to her own ends so as a wedding gift Henry gave Margaret and Matthew a nice little palace in the countryside. And Margaret used this as a secret meeting place for all of the Catholics who wanted to take the throne over from Henry. Like secret HQ for Catholic um, revolutionaries. Because did I mention, Margaret was super Catholic. She was super Catholic. Matthew was super Catholic. They were not a fan of Henry's whole Anglican situation. And they wanted to make England Catholic again. Henry found out about the secret Catholic HQ, and you'd think he, third time's a charm, throw her in jail. He didn't, but what he did was maybe worse. He officially excluded her and her children and her descendants from the line of succession forever, and then he died, so there was no takesy-backsies. So this means that her... So Darnley, for instance, was officially, according to these paperwork, like not in the line of succession which again becomes an issue later on with Mary Queen of Scots, but that's not what we're talking about. So Margaret would have been really mad about that because all she wanted was power for herself and her children. She was dealt another big blow when her horrible father, Archibald Douglas, legendary horrible person, made the decision to disinherit her as well because he was mad at Matthew for whatever, man business. So Margaret was now not eligible to inherit any of her family's land in Scotland. And she also was no longer in line to the throne of England. And she was now poor. She took a little road trip in 1550, you know, just to clear her head. She hung out with Marie de Guise, 
who was the, at this point the Dowager Queen of Scotland. She had married who would it be Margaret's half brother, James the Fifth, Marie de Guise, very cool person. Basically, it's just she's a cool, tall French woman. Margaret wanted to hang out with her in Scotland, so I'm sure they drank some wine and said many. Just got some emotional real talk about how shitty things were for them being these really smart and capable women trapped in a series of ridiculous wars, being thrown by impulsive men with half their intelligence. I think that'd be a cool movie. The time the two of those ladies hung out. Anyway, 1555, Margaret had another son. So she named this son Charles. And all she could do was hang out with her babies and bide her time until she was able to scheme more actively, just kind of wait for the political situation to get uh, better, more in her favor. So things got a bit better for her when Edward VI, Henry VIII's son, died. And Margaret's old friend, Mary, took over as Queen Mary I. Not only was Mary her cousin in childhood slash teenage years BFF, but she was also Catholic, which Margaret was all about. Mary invited Margaret to come live with her at royal court, like when they were princesses together, but now, like, you know, years later, older, wiser, etc. And at this point, Margaret was seen probably as Mary's heir because she was Catholic, um, because Mary hadn't had any children, and because Elizabeth, Mary's half-sister, was still technically illegitimate and also Protestant. So Margaret was just, like, doing great. It's starting to look like she might finally fulfill her goal of becoming the queen. But then, again, things took a turn through no fault of her own. Mary passed away in 1558 without any children, and she named Elizabeth as her heir. Margaret was given the honor of being chief mourner at Mary's funeral, but obviously that wasn't exactly the inheritance she'd been hoping to receive, e.g. she wanted to become the queen. So with Elizabeth being the queen and making England Protestant again, Margaret just kind of like backed out of there and headed back to her home in the countryside to again turn it into HQ for Catholics who wanted to overthrow the monarchy. But Elizabeth was onto this. She knew what was going on. She sent spies up to keep tabs on what Margaret and the Catholics were doing. Elizabeth also had spies in Scotland reporting back to her what Matthew Margaret's husband, who was in Scotland at this point for scheming reasons, was up to. And through these spies, Elizabeth found out that both Margaret and Matthew were scheming against her. And so Matthew was thrown in the Tower of London and Margaret was placed under house arrest. So in terms of our women in towers and the assholes who sent them there, just to, to keep track. So Margaret had been sent to the Tower of London twice, both times with Henry VIII. And now she's in house arrest because of Elizabeth I. It seems like during this time of house arrest, Margaret finally accepted the question of her own legitimacy, like the fact that Henry had made her illegitimate, meant she could never be queen. And so she just devoted herself entirely on her children, especially her older son, Darnley, to try and make them be kings instead. So it's a very like Matilda esque moment where it's just like okay if i can't be queen i'm gonna do everything i can to make my son be king after me and so that's what she started doing and her plan was to marry darnley to marry queen of scots so as i've mentioned a few times i'm gonna eventually do a multi-part episode 
or season probably about Mary Queen of Scots because there's a lot to talk about there. But what you need to know for this story, so Margaret Douglas's mother was Margaret Tudor, and Margaret Tudor was married to King James of Scotland. And then, oh God, this is so... So Margaret Tudor had kind of two husbands, and she had children with each husband. Margaret Tudor's children with James became that's Mary Queen of Scots that's the next that's a descendant from that line at this point and then Margaret Tudor's children with Archibald Douglas that's Margaret Douglas so there's kind of two lines of people so if you're like wait doesn't that make Darnley and Mary Queen of Scots like half first cousins or something like yes yes it does they are incredibly closely related and that's part of why they would be such a threat because of their combined when they put the two relatives together then they've got like a really powerful claim to the throne so what margaret douglas wanted to do was to marry her son darnley to his cousin mary queen of scots so that they could be king and queen of england slash scotland and that would allow margaret to just slide in as like king's mother which would be maybe a powerful role lots of other people had had that position before and that would be a good amount of power for her and so she was successful so Darnley and Mary, Queen of Scots, got married, but because Elizabeth knew that Margaret Douglas had been one of the people who was making this happen, Elizabeth threw Margaret back into her home away from home, the Tower of London. So this is the fourth, her fourth time being sent to prison, although one of them is just a house arrest. I mean, at this point, you would think there's like a Margaret Douglas suite already prepared with all of her favorite toiletries because she's just there so often. But here's the problem that is so often the problem with these very ambitious women who work really hard to get their sons to be the king is so often their sons are just useless, like Darnley was. So he got himself blown up. Long story. Um, it kind of looked like Mary Queen of Scots had maybe been the one to blow him up. Margaret believed that. Literally, like he, the house he was living in, like, blew up and his body was found dead there and then people thought Mary Queen of Scots had done it Margaret was like oh my god is that what happened so she sided against Mary Queen of Scots at this point I don't know if she meant it or not but she's like Queen Elizabeth I totally support you and I think Mary Queen of Scots is horrible and Elizabeth was like that's what I want to hear and so she released Margaret from prison and suddenly we've got like a unexpected alliance Elizabeth and Margaret who are what? They'd be their cousins. They're like first cousins. So the two of them teamed up against Mary Queen of Scots, who is at this point on the run for the charges of blowing up her husband, Darnley. Mary Queen of Scots abdicated from being the Queen of Scots, leaving her and Darnley's son, James, as the new baby king of Scotland. So this is, I mean, for Margaret, okay news. Like, yes, her son was blown up, but now her grandson is baby king of scots because a baby couldn't rule obviously being a baby the baby king needed a regent and so margaret got her husband matthew to be the regent there for a while and suddenly after so many decades of so much scheming margaret was at least adjacent to power in the sense of she was the grandmother of the scottish king but of course that lasted like five minutes because that's just how her life is going and has always been going. So her husband Matthew was killed during an uprising in Scotland. 
and Margaret at this point was like, mm, was Mary Queen of Scots responsible for Darnley's death? And when she started thinking this through, she noticed that actually it seemed pretty obvious that Mary Queen of Scots had been framed for the murder. And so Margaret switched sides again and decided to support Mary Queen of Scots. But of course, she couldn't let Elizabeth know because Elizabeth and Mary Queen of Scots were against each other at this point. So Margaret played both sides for a while, gently suggesting to Elizabeth that maybe Mary Queen of Scots might not be totally guilty. On her way to visit her grandson, the baby King of Scots, uh, Margaret took a detour to go and visit Mary Queen of Scots at the home of their mutual friend, Bess of Hardwick. And this is a whole thing. So Margaret just like headed off, like, "Mm, I'm just going to go hang out with Bess of Hardwick for a minute. No big deal. She brought her son Charles with her, who was, isn't that interesting? She called her son Charles. And that was the name of her second Howard, almost would-be husband. Anyway, her like teenage son Charles came along with her. Bess of Hardwick's daughter Elizabeth was there. And when you know, those two crazy teens fell in love with each other and got married. What a wild coincidence that this was also a helpful political alliance for Margaret. Like, what are the odds that this accident would happen? You'd almost think she engineered the whole thing, and you'd be right, because she totally did. She wanted this marriage for her husband, Charles. So Elizabeth, in her trademark way, found out about a teen marriage and flipped the fuck out because she just didn't like young love. And yet again sent Margaret Douglas to her personal suite in the Tower of London. This is her fifth, fourth time there, fifth arrest. So I like this story for this season of the podcast because it's not just women sent to towers. It's like women sent to towers repeatedly. It just like kept getting freed. But anyway, somehow Elizabeth just couldn't stay mad at Margaret and she released her after a pretty short stay. Margaret's son, Charles, and his wife, Elizabeth Cavendish, had a baby at around this time, a girl who they named Arbella Stewart. There's a episode of the Noble Blood podcast all about Arbella Stewart, whose story is also real interesting. Uh, Charles died shortly after that. And then Elizabeth Cavendish, daughter-in-law, moved in with Margaret, and the two of them lived together with baby Arbella. Presumably, Margaret just coaching them all on like how to be a good schemer and how to ensure that somehow this little girl could become Queen of England one day. And so baby Arbella's claim would be through Margaret Douglas because like tracing back to Margaret Tudor effectively. So they this is her new plan. She's like, well, Darnley got blown up. Charles is dead. Her only remaining sort of descendant to try and make be the king or queen is baby Arbella. So that was what Margaret was focusing on now. But she was not doing great financially from the whole having been disinherited situation. And when she died two years after Arbella's birth, she was a pauper. She had basically no money. But still, Margaret Douglas was given a grand burial in Westminster Abbey as befits the daughter of a queen, the cousin of a queen, and the grandmother of a king. She was buried in the same grave as her son, Charles. Note, so what did she die of? She probably just died of various oldie-time diseases, 
but there's a rumor that continues that Elizabeth had her actually poisoned to death. I love this rumor because I always love it when it's more scandalous. And the reason why people think this is because a few days before Margaret died, she'd had dinner with Robert Dudley, Elizabeth's dirtbag boyfriend, a man who was already suspected of having murdered some other people. So it seems possible that she was poisoned to death just for constant interfering. And Elizabeth was just tired of sending her to jail or whatever. Oh, I forgot to say at the very beginning. So my sources for this were... There are a couple of biographies of Margaret Douglas. There's one called So High a Blood, the story of Margaret Douglas, the Tudor that time forgot by Morgan Ring, as well as The Lost Tudor Princess, The Life of Lady Margaret Douglas by Alison Weir. Margaret herself was actually a poet. She had numerous works dedicated. She wrote numerous works, poems, dedicated to her first fiancé, Thomas Howard, which so sad. Her poems are included along with works of other poets of the era in a work that's called the Devonshire Manuscript. And now it is time to score Margaret Douglas. Also, she the only on-screen version of her that I am aware of is in the last, the last season of Rain, the TV show that was on the CW a few years ago and is my favorite TV show of all time and one of the reasons why I am as interested in Mary Queen of Scots as I am. Anyway, she appears in that, Margaret Douglas, as uh, Darnley's scheming mother, Lady Lennox. Other than that, I think this would be a great character to put in, you know, a stars TV show, that sort of thing. Time to give her some scoring and I feel like as opposed to many of the other people, well, several of the other people this season so far, she had more agency, which means she was able to do more scandalous stuff. Oh, and also I forgot to mention, she died age 62 in 1578. Was older than some people that we've talked about, younger than some people. So in terms of scandaliciousness, if we're looking at the juiciness of the scandals in which she got herself caught up in, there are several. There is secretly getting engaged to the first Howard and then falling in love with the second Howard, being sent to jail twice. Her mother, Margaret Tudor, had a lot of scandalousness going on, so that just sort of like tangentially affected her as well. Um, the fact that as a baby, she was like nabbed by her father. The fact that she was hosting these soirees at Catholic rebels hq just she turned her house into that i i'm gonna give her a seven for scandaliciousness because i mean two two love affairs had sent her to the tower pretty impressive scheminess i think is really high because sometimes she got freed from the tower of london because just political situation changed but also i would think part of that is because of her own scheminess and trying to find ways to clear her name like going all the way back to breaking up with with the first Howard boy before he tragically died but then her ongoing scheminess like the catholic hq thing the stuff with getting her son to marry Bess of hardwick's daughter and then raising arbella to be the new queen like her scheminess i think is really 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 high this was i'm gonna give her a nine for scheminess because she was unrelenting and also quite successful with a lot of it. Her significance, 
She is the grandmother of King James VI of Scotland slash first of England. So she did manage to get Darnley married to Mary Queen of Scots. And actually that completely ruined Mary Queen of Scots' life. So she sort of, her significance to history, she's not super well known. Like I said, book title is called like the Tudor the Time Forgot. But she, the stuff she did had like mega repercussions actually. I'm going to say a seven for significance. The sexism bonus. Now, as per every woman we've talked about on this podcast, obviously living in this patriarchal society was detrimental to her. Like the fact that, you know what? Like Henry VIII got her, was mad at her for getting these secret engagements, but then Elizabeth was too. So it's not, it's not like men were mean to her and women were nice to her. It's just kind of like the whole society didn't let a young woman decide who they're going to marry. But at the same time, she wasn't charged with anything, but then her fiancé was. I mean, things were generally... The fact that she just couldn't choose who she could marry sucked, and that was part of sexism slash the patriarchy. I just think in comparison to other women who've talked about on this podcast, how much was she fucked over by the sexism of her time? For sure she was, but other people, that was a greater proportion of their story, so I'm just going to give her a five there. So what does it set up to? That's a 28, which means she's the highest score so far this season. If we're looking at who else got a 28, that's like Cleopatra got a goddamn 28. Like, I love, I love this for her. I love that she's up there with this amount because, and getting a high score on the scandal scale, it's truly about, you need to have a little bit of everything or a lot of most of things. And for her, the significance combined with the scheminess and the scandaliciousness like that just really took her over the top so that's our highest score thus far this season we'll see where things go from here and then i'm going to give you my recommendation of the week and it's sort of a two-part recommendation so i'm just finishing reading this book that is really good that i really want to recommend to you that's called luck of the titanic by stacy lee it's a young adult novel. It just, just came out in May, early May, 2021. And it's about, uh, so it's partially inspired by the recent sort of discovery slash mainstream sharing of the information that there were six Chinese passengers on the Titanic during its ill-fated maiden voyage. So there's, a, and that's what this story is sort of imagining in a historical fiction context. So the the main character is a young woman who has to sneak on the ship because of the Chinese Exclusion Act. Chinese people aren't actually allowed to go to the U.S., but she's a trained acrobat, and she wants to. She finds out that the guy from I forget Ringling Brothers Circus is on the Titanic, and she wants to find him and impress him to get a job with the circus. It's just like a really. There's so many good books for children and for teenagers about imagining people in the Titanic and just because every person on that ship had their own interesting story. But this has the, I guess I'll call it a twist of having just really learning more about the Chinese people who were on the Titanic. And that's partially inspired by the studies or the histories that have recently come out. There's a documentary called The Six from executive producer James Cameron. So the sixth, the untold story of the Titanic's Chinese passengers. And that is, it started, it streamed 
I don't know, you know, movies are so weird, like where theaters open and stuff like that, but it's um, premiered in China and presumably it'll be playing in lots of other places too because James Cameron is involved in it. And I think it's so interesting to learn the story of the Titanic is so well known to suddenly have this new whole aspect of it to learn about and it sounds like the documentary gets into a lot of the stuff that this book luck of the titanic does too luck of the titanic is a made-up historical fiction novel but it talks about uh, just what life was like for chinese people in in england and in the u.s at this time and sort of the history of chinese migration so anyway i recommend this book and hopefully when the, the movie will be able to be watched in lots of places when it comes out i'll put links to both of those things in the show notes for today and otherwise thank you all for listening to this podcast it means a lot it would also mean a lot if you if you haven't already would uh rate and or review this podcast on itunes or on um android or other places it's just it's so helpful to so other people can like discover the podcast better and also because i get these messages sometimes from people saying that i say like too much or that i talk too fast and like whatever i have a tough skin it's cool but it'd be nice if there was if you could drown those voices out with nice positive reviews which i assume if you listen to the podcast to this point like you listen to me talk for like 40 minutes you're a fan and it'd be cool so i'd appreciate that but also no pressure there's other ways to support the podcast. So we have merch. It will be coming. I will have some new merch for the Women Trapped in Towers theme coming out soon. And that's at teespring.com slash stores slash vulgar history. You can directly support the podcast at patreon.com slash Writer. And the way that that works, if you haven't used Patreon before, is you can, you just make a pledge of whatever amount per month. If you pledge, I believe it's $5 a month you get the access to all the previous bonus episodes and also one new bonus episode per month, which I really need to get around to doing, don't I? The month of May is ending. And I will do that, I promise. Anyway, so when you do that, then you get access to those and you can play those in your pod catcher as well if you just can't get enough of me saying like all the time. And there's also a website, bookshop.org, which... A portion of the money you spend there goes to independent bookstores. So I really recommend that as a place to to purchase books. I have recently updated the lists I have there that showcase the books that I've mentioned or suggested on this podcast. So you can see uh, where those books are and then you can order them online. It's just as easy as Amazon, but your soul feels a bit better about using it. Or mine does. And otherwise... Um, you can follow us on Instagram, Vulgar History Pod, on Twitter at Vulgar History. And if you want to send me an email for some reason, it's at vulgarhistorypod at gmail.com. So I hope everybody's doing as well as anyone can be these days. And I know that in some places they've said that you can not wear a mask outside if you're vaccinated and stuff, but much in the same way that tits out is sort of a way of being not specifically a direction to like literally have your tits out although if you want to power to you francis howard would love it so when i say keep your mask on keep your tits out i mean like you can take off a mask if you want you can put your tits in if you want but just like philosophically keep your mask on and your tits out and i'll talk to you next time 
Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.